Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to you. My name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here. And I uh, hope you've had a, just a vibrant night of sleep after this gaining an hour whole thing. I kept looking at the clock. It was 3 a.m. and I'm like, I'm ready to go. No, it's not time yet. So every hour from 3 on, I was just waking back up thinking it was time. But it's nice to have that extra amount of sleep. Hopefully uh, it's been a blessing to you. Corey Tenboom is a lady that was born in 1892 in the Netherlands, and she was a part of a family. Her dad was a clockmaker and a watchmaker, and they were a devoutly religious family. And during World War II, the war came to their doorstep and to their town, and her father led their family, her and her sister and their whole family, to care for many that were being attacked, imprisoned, and the Jews in their town were being carted off and taken away. And it's believed that her family was a part of rescuing and helping to save nearly 800 people that were finding safety and a place to hide and a place to get away through what they were doing in trying to care for those Jews in their town. And there was a Dutch person that came along, one of their neighbors, and ratted them out to the Nazis. And so immediately their home got invaded, and Corey's dad was separated from her and her sister Betsy, carted off and imprisoned. He died shortly after being imprisoned. And Corey and her sister Betsy were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp. It's the main and only concentration camp that was for all women. So February 1944, they're there, and Betsy gets sick pretty early on in her time there, and she was only alive until December of that year of 1944, and she passed away. And inexplicably, 12 days later, Corey was released. No explanation. She was released and allowed to go back to her homeland, which she did. And just in good ten boom fashion, she followed in the footsteps that she had learned from her father and began to care for the needs of those that were around her that were seeking to rebuild from the war. And to take it a step further, she even cared for many that had aided the Germans in that time. She loved them all the same. She's a very godly lady, and she would go on to later start a worldwide ministry, and maybe many of you have heard of her book, The Hiding Place, where she tells the story of what God did in their family. She's known for a lot of pretty incredible sayings, and I just wanted to give you a sampling here of a few. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? She also said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She's somebody that knows a little bit about that, trusting things to a known God and, and, and putting behind the unknown future. Probably her most famous phrase is, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all that you have. My grandmother, years later, had a chance to hear her speak in Chicago. And as my grandmother was walking into the, the church, here on a bench is an old lady snoring, sleeping on the bench. And then just a few minutes later, that lady got up to speak, and it turns out it was Corey. So she was content in everything that she had, and she learned to trust the Lord. And her story fits so well with where the Lord has us. We've been in a series on the life of Joseph. We're entering into chapter 40 today. And it fits so well with what God is doing in Joseph's life here. And my prayer all week long has been that God would give us a freedom from our self-reliance. And a freedom from how we, I think, sometimes just act cynically towards the Lord. That he's not involved in the little parts of our life. And my prayer all week for every one of us is that God would infuse us with hope as we look to this passage and see what he has for us here. So I just invite you to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 40. 
You can grab the one in the seat back in front of you if you don't have it with you. And then, as always, we like to direct your attention to the app. If you're a digital person, it's a great thing to track along. Uh, just go to Ridgewood Church app and hit media and then sermon notes. You can find today's uh, message and we'll have the notes and everything right in there with you. You can track along with us there. So the title of the message today is Favor and Faithfulness for Future Gain. So let's just jump in and read uh, the first four verses here. And the first thing I'd say to you out of this passage is that divinely ordered circumstances bring new opportunity. And we'll just go section by section through and we'll make it through the whole chapter, Lord willing, by the end here. So verse one in chapter 40, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody there. So we pick up with the narrative where we left off at the end of 39 last week. Joseph is still in prison, but it says that some time had passed from where we left off last week. And inserted into his life now are two of Pharaoh's officers. And so they carried with them uh, some hierarchy, some notoriety, a position of prominence within Egypt's hierarchy there. So the cupbearer and the baker are thrown into the same prison as Joseph is now. And they're put there, it says, because they committed an offense. And that word there really is sin. So they sinned against, they wronged the king and it burned him up with anger and off they go into prison. It's really fascinating to think that these two sinned against their master and were put in prison. Joseph in the same prison, and he was put in there because he was falsely accused. He didn't sin against his master. So the Lord's up to something there as we look there. When it comes to the scene of the prison, it's interesting to think, like, what would it have felt like? They were in a house, and the captain of the guard term there, a lot of people think that's Potiphar. Some people think that it's uh, just another captain of the guard because Potiphar's name isn't used in this chapter as it was before. In either case, they're in a home of uh, in a home prison of a wealthy captain of the guard in the capital city of the empire there. Another thing to note is that the wording here is meant to catch our attention that God's doing something that he has intent for where they are because it says that both the cupbearer and the chief baker are brought to where Joseph is. So it's meant for us to catch the fact that God is doing something and that he intends for them to be there together. So Joseph finds himself still and even more deeply entrenched in Egypt and in the empire. And there's really zero reason for him to be there. And there's no natural reason why a Jew would be placed in the position that he's in. But God continues to move him forward. And that's something that we see all throughout this narrative, as we have seen thus far and we will going along, that God has great purpose and that that he's orchestrating events all along the way. Have you, in your own life, ever considered what you may think is happenstance is actually something that the Lord's doing, even in the small things? Or have you considered that the college that you went to, maybe you chose it for very specific reasons, but that God had other additional reasons to why you were there. The person that God united you with in marriage or where he placed you in your neighborhood, that there's things that God is doing that we need to pay attention to and have our awareness heightened for. So for Joseph and for us, divinely ordered circumstances bring great opportunity. We see that here. The next thing as we continue on in verses 5 through 8, we get a glimpse that there's two dreams that take place. 
And then there's something really special to see out of Joseph's heart. So let's read these next few verses together in verse 5. In one night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there's no one to interpret. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So dreams are a really interesting thing, and they carry with them great significance in so many ways. Sometimes it might be the bad pizza that you had the night before, and you're like, Hey, I didn't expect to be riding a unicorn in Australia last night in my dream, or whatever it is. So sometimes, you know, you can chalk that up to, Wow, that was interesting, put it in the interesting category. But depending on the culture, and truly and honestly, there really is deep significance to to dreams, and some cultures more than others. For the Egyptian culture, they were extraordinarily meaningful. And so that's why it got their attention, these dreams did. Some schools of thought point to dreams being something that is uh, looking towards the past. So as we dream, we're processing previous events in our lives. Others think that it's current or potentially future events, and symbolism and pictures are believed to carry a great significance as well. So those are good things for us to know. In this particular case, it's a future-looking story to be told about each person. And so as in studying this passage, many scholars point out the fact that there were a lot of people that were counselors and those that would help interpret dreams in their day. But it's really clear for us to notice that both the dreams and the interpretations are gifts from the Lord because they were in a prison and it was just the three of them there together. So the Lord shows up and gives the gift of interpretation. So it's really about God's strength and not about Joseph's ability or any man's ability that we see in this passage. And it's really important, too, for us to be brought back to the dream in Genesis 37, that God came and revealed himself to Joseph. And that's the broader picture of what we're experiencing here. So our focus is still primarily on the dream that God is working out in Joseph's life. And this is just a part of it. These events are there. So Joseph claims in verse 8, we see that the direction and the knowledge and understanding that come, they don't originate from a man, they originate from God. And it's powerful to see that his unflinching confidence in God's strength is really there. So his trust and his belief in the Lord is built out and it's safe, it's secure. He's really believing that God's doing something there. And it speaks to the phrase that we've seen multiple times already that the Lord was with Joseph. And I believe he's starting to get a conscious awareness of that fact. And he's leaning in and asking the Lord for help and interpretation. It's pretty amazing just for him to say, yeah, the Lord will do it. Do you have that kind of confidence? In the Lord, do you think that he comes through for you when you're in really difficult circumstances? Do you run to something else or do you really have the confidence to go to the Lord and believe that he's with you and that he'll work through you? Another thing to really grab a hold of here is the posture of Joseph's heart, I believe. So in verse four, it says the word attend there. It says that he attended them. And that really just means that he's serving those two guys. And so he comes along and um, after having experienced this whirlwind of a journey and catastrophe after catastrophe, he's gone through being beaten, tossed around, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned. 
some really serious things have taken place in his life, and yet he has a posture of humility there, and he just walks up to these guys and is like, hey, fellas, why the long face? You know, how can I help? He really is entering into their world, and he's taking seriously what he's been called to do. And I just sadly think if it was me, I would have become bitter, and I probably would have punted on the whole situation of wanting to serve. It's amazing to see his faithfulness here and the humility that's there. What's fascinating to me is I like to read business and leadership books a lot, and author after author uh, are coming to a revelation of the fact that humility plays a huge part in high-level leadership, in level five leadership. The humility is something that's there, and it's, it really just speaks to the fact that great leaders are going to put their team first. They're going to put other people first. They're going to seek for their team to thrive above them. And that seems to be kind of a new thing in our day um, in the marketplace world. But it's an awesome thing that people are coming to that kind of revelation that humility matters. We see that so much in this story with Joseph. We see it in Corey Ten Boom's story as well, that they seek the good of others, even in the midst of challenge and chaos and tragedy. And it really is a testimony to being faithful with a future-looking gaze that the Lord has gained for us that we have something to look forward to and that we look towards him as good instead of just staring at our own circumstances. I believe some of us in the room just need to be affirmed today. And God would just want to affirm where you are, that you've stood strong and in the midst of really challenging circumstances, things that don't make sense to you, things that are very difficult for you, that you've remained faithful and firm and you've pressed on. And just be encouraged today to stand firm and keep going and don't give up in what God has for you. I read in a devotional this week, really powerful sentence. It said, this is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering. More contentment in God and less reliance on self in the world. Love that. James 1, 2 through 4 is an important one for us to consider here. I like it out of the NIV. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith will develop perseverance. And here's the thing. Perseverance must finish its work in us so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All that we would be a people like that, that want to press on and keep going. And what a testimony to our world when they see the struggles that we're in, that we don't turn to all the comforts of the world, but we lean into the Lord. And with joy, we press on that perseverance would make us mature and complete so that we wouldn't be lacking in anything. That's what we see in Joseph as he presses on. And, oh, Lord, would you make that true about us at Ridgewood Church as well. The next thing we see, we'll go through uh, verses 9 through 15 and 6 through 19. There's two interpretations and then a danger of comparison. So dreams are a regular part of everyone's life for sure, but there's only two places in the New Testament, this is one of them, where person A interprets person B's dreams. The other one is in Daniel, when Daniel interprets the dreams as well. And it's fascinating to consider that, that God's utilizing an Israelite in both cases for Joseph and for Daniel. He's placed them where he wants them, and they're interpreting dreams for someone of power in a place that they are in captivity to. So that's just, I found that fascinating that God is always working on a deeper level with a deeper purpose there. The phrase interpretation, you know, we use that in our culture certainly, but it really just speaks to there's dreams that are had and received and there's some confusion over what they mean and that interpretation just brings and adds meaning that it's an explanation of what's there. So the dreams are shared and interpretations given. Let's read uh, 9 through 15 here together. 
So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, um, when you were his cupbearer before. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So the dreams is shared, and then the interpretation comes. And in verses 14 and 15, Joseph is still pressing in to the broader dream that the Lord had given him. He's not given up on that. And he's saying, hey, when you get out, um, hey, help a brother out here. Like, give me some relief. And he's pointing to the larger picture and is seeking to continue forward with, God, with what God has for him. So the cupbearer gets a good report, and the baker steps up to the mic and is like, hey, okay, let's see what, what good things he has in store for me. Let's see 16 through 19 here. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets, again, are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So, yowza, not the good news that uh, Mr. Baker was hoping for, I don't think. It, it shows us that comparison on the front end for him with, with false hope caused him to feel crushed, I would believe, on the inside after hearing that. And how many times do we allow comparison to either build us up or drag us down? And we get into believing that there is something that, that is for us with comparison when really it's ultimately just a trap. And may the Lord shield and free us from that trap. So we see the danger of comparison in the two interpretations. The last four verses here, we notice precise results and future faith. That things happen just as they were said, that there's precise results and a seed of future hope and faith. So let's read 20 through 23. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted Yet the chief cupbearer, this is important for us to get, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So it's a real Walt Disney moment there that dreams really do come true, and those events play out in a stark way. And what was said actually does play out. The phrase, lift up your head, is really pointing to just Pharaoh calling them forward. And so he's summoning them or bringing them to his birthday. And his birthday here is actually, many believe or most believe that it's actually his um, anniversary of rise to power. And so that's what they're celebrating. It's exactly three days after the dreams that had come. And so these events happen, and I believe that are, they're there to show, and they would have shown Joseph and the others that God's power is real and that he's present and that he's with them. And I think as Joseph would have heard the news of what had taken place, that his hope 
again would have been rekindled, his greater hope towards the dream that we see in Genesis 37. So Joseph and God's people need deliverance, and the Lord is up to something, and the freedom is yet to come, however, but it's still a part of God's plan to have him right where he is. And Joseph's position hasn't changed. We saw him at the beginning, he's in prison, and now he's still at the end of uh, of this chapter, is in prison, and things haven't changed yet, but more to come on the story. What do you do when you feel forgotten? And perhaps maybe that's where you are today. You feel like your ship, the ship has sailed and you're not on it. Or the promise that is supposed to be remembered in your life is being forgotten and hasn't been remembered. What do you do when those things happen? When you feel like all has happened without you and that you've been left behind. Let me just encourage you to walk in faith and faithfulness. And that the times that faith is needed the most is not when it's sunny and bright outside, but when things feel closed off and dark and bleak. And that's the opportunity for us to lean in in faith. And we see that so well here that Joseph pressed in for more. And certainly he was discouraged and and time had passed for him to stay in prison. But he needed to press in for more. And that's what God would have for us to hold on to the scriptures just practically to regularly come back to the scriptures and strain for the Lord. That there's a faithfulness that has an activity on our part. To lean in and believe that God has future hope for us, that there's gain for us as we receive his favor and live with faith in him. It's amazing to see all the connections throughout this chapter of Joseph to Jesus. And all throughout the narrative, just in all of Joseph's life and then looking back at his ancestors and looking forward, markers of the covenant promises all the way to Jesus. And then all the amazing things that take place all along the way, and the the godliness that Joseph exhibits, Jesus is still better. And we celebrate him today. And he is the one that perfectly embodied what we couldn't. And he gave himself, endured the ultimate punishment for our sin. He is the better one. And because he lived a life of complete faithfulness, looking towards future gain, we have the hope to be able to do that as well. Let's look at Hebrews 12, 2 through 3. Says Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, so he's looking to future gain, he's, he's living a life of faithfulness and obeying the Father, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That we can consider him who endured from sinners, like you and me, such hostility against himself, so that you and I may not grow weary or faint hearted, that we could continue forward. So I'm looking at you today, and I just wonder, do you know that God hasn't given up on you and forgotten you? Do you know that? Do you know that his grace is so rich and that his favor in your life is complete and good, and that you have what it takes to remain strong, not because of anything that you have in yourself, but because of the Lord's presence. The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord is with us as followers of Jesus. Since the beginning, God has been preparing every one of us, Ephesians 2 says, in advance for good works that he desires us to live out and that we've been created for a great purpose. Future gain is in front of us. And even though it may not feel like that today, the Lord's given us favor and he's calling on us to put our faith in him to believe in future gain in what he has for us. So he went before us and counted it all joy to sacrifice so that you and I could have life in his name. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Lord, we want to receive exactly what you have for us. And 
I just pray you would infuse us with hope this day and that you would steady us in the places uh, that you have us, in the circumstances that you have us, and that you would allow us to be a testimony to others of your faithfulness and that we would be strong and that we would endure because faith fills the gap for us and that you are the one that's guiding us along. And so thank you for that, Lord. And I just ask that you'd speak to us now. Let's just sit quietly before the Lord for a minute or so and just ask him for yourself, Lord, what is it that you'd want me to understand and receive today?